Chapter Twenty of Mr. Midshipman Easy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mr. Midshipman Easy, by Captain Frank Marriott, read by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Twenty, a long story which the reader must listen to as well as our hero. I have already made you acquainted with my name, and I have only to add that it is one of the most noble in Sicily, and that there are few families who possess such large estates. My father was a man who had no pleasure in the pursuits of most of the young men of his age. He was of a weak constitution and was with difficulty reared to manhood. When his studies were completed he retired to his country seat, belonging to our family, which is about twenty miles from Palermo, and, shutting himself up, devoted himself wholly to literary pursuits. As he was an only son, his parents were naturally very anxious that he should marry, the more so as his health did not promise him a very extended existence. Had he consulted his own inclinations, he would have declined, but he felt that it was his duty to comply with their wishes, but he did not trouble himself with the choice, leaving it wholly to them. They selected a young lady of high family, and certainly of the most exquisite beauty. I only wish I could say more in her favour, for she was my mother, and it is impossible to narrate the history without exposing her conduct. The marriage took place, and my father, having woke up as it were at the celebration, again returned to his closet to occupy himself in abstruse studies, the results of which have been published, and have fully established his reputation as a man of superior talent and deep research. But however much the public may appreciate the works of a man of genius, whether they be written to instruct or to amuse, Certainly it is that a literary man requires in his wife either a mind congenial to his own, or that pride in her husband's talents which induces her to sacrifice much of her own domestic enjoyment to the satisfaction of having his name extolled abroad. I mention this point as some attenuation of my mother's conduct. She was neglected, most certainly, but not neglected for frivolous amusements, or because another form had captivated his fancy. But in his desire to instruct others, and I may add his ambition for renown, he applied himself to his literary pursuits, became abstracted, answered without hearing, and left his wife to amuse herself in any way she might please. A literary husband is, without exception, although always at home, 
the least domestic husband in the world, and must try the best of tempers, not by unkindness, for my father was kind and indulgent to excess, but by that state of perfect abstraction and indifference which he showed to everything except the favourite pursuit which absorbed him. My mother had but to speak, and every wish was granted, a refusal was unknown. You may say, what more could she want? I reply that anything to a woman is preferable to indifference. The immediate consent to every wish took away, in her opinion, all merit in the grant. The value of everything is only relative, and in proportion to the difficulty of obtaining it. The immediate assent to every opinion was tantamount to insult. It implied that he did not choose to argue with her. It is true that women like to have their own way, but they like at the same time to have difficulties to surmount and to conquer, otherwise half the gratification is lost. Although tempests are to be deplored, still a certain degree of oscillation and motion are requisite to keep fresh and clear the lake of matrimony the waters of which otherwise soon stagnate and become foul, and without some contrary currents of opinion between a married couple such a stagnation must take place. A woman permitted always and invariably to have her own way, without control, is much in the same situation as the child who insists upon a whole instead of a half a holiday and before the evening closes is tired of himself and everything about him. In short, a little contradiction, like salt at dinner, seasons and appetizes the repast, but too much, eke the condiment in question, spoils the whole, and it becomes unpalatable in proportion to its excess. My mother— was a vain woman in every sense of the word, vain of her birth and of her beauty, and accustomed to receive that homage for which she considered herself entitled. She had been spoiled in her infancy, and as she grew up had learnt nothing, because she was permitted to do as she pleased. She was therefore frivolous, and could not appreciate what she could not comprehend. There never was a more ill-assorted union." "'I have always thought that such must be the case,' replied Gascoigne. "'In Catholic countries, where a young person is taken out of a convent, and mated according to what her family or her wealth may consider as the most eligible connection. "'On that subject there are many opinions, my friend,' replied Don Ribiera. "'It is true that when a marriage of convenience is arranged by the parents, the dispositions of the parties are made a secondary point. But then again it must be remembered that when a choice is left to the parties themselves, 
it is at an age at which there is little worldly consideration and led away in the first place by their passions they form connections with those inferior in their station which are attended with eventual unhappiness or in the other allowing that they do choose in their own rank of life they make quite as bad or often a worse choice than if their partners were selected for them i cannot understand that replied gascoigne the reason is because there are no means or if means no wish to study each other's disposition a young man is attracted by person and he admires the young woman is flattered by the admiration and is agreeable if she has any faults she is not likely to display them not concealing them from hypocrisy but because they are not called out the young man falls in love so does the young woman and when once in love they can no longer see faults they marry imagining that they have found perfection in the blindness of love each raises the other to a standard of perfection which human nature can never attain and each becomes equally annoyed on finding by degrees that they were in error the reaction takes place and they then underrate as much as before they had overrated each other now if two young people marry without this violence of passion they do not expect to find each other perfect and perhaps have a better chance of happiness i don't agree with you thought gascoigne but as you appear to be as fond of argument as my friend jack i shall make no reply lest there be no end to the story don rebiera proceeded my mother finding that my father preferred his closet and his books to gaiety and dissipation soon left him to himself and amused herself after her own fashion but not until i was born which was ten months after their marriage my father was confiding and pleased that my mother should be amused he indulged her in everything time flew on and i had arrived at my fifteenth year and came home from my studies it being intended that i should enter the army which you are aware is generally the only profession embraced in this country by the heirs of noble families of course i knew little of what had passed at home but still i had occasionally heard my mother spoken lightly of when i was not supposed to be present and i always heard my father's name mentioned with compassion as if an ill-used man but i knew nothing more still this was quite sufficient for a young man whose blood boiled at the idea of anything like a stigma being cast upon his family i arrived at my father's i found him at his books i paid my respects to my mother i found her with her confessor i disliked the man at first sight he was handsome certainly 
His forehead was high and white, his eyes large and fiery, and his figure commanding, but there was a dangerous, proud look about him which disgusted me, nothing like humility or devotion. I might have admired him as an officer commanding a regiment of cavalry, but as a churchman he appeared to be most misplaced. She named me with kindness, but he appeared to treat me with disdain. He spoke authoritatively to my mother, who appeared to yield implicitly, and I discovered that he was the lord of the whole household. My mother, too, it was said, had given up gaieties and become devout. I soon perceived more than a common intelligence between them, and before I had been two months at home I had certain proofs of my father's dishonour, and what was still more unfortunate to me, they were aware that such was the case. My first impulse was to acquaint my father, but on consideration I thought it better to say nothing, provided I could persuade my mother to dismiss Father Ignacio. I took an opportunity when she was alone to express my indignation at her conduct, and to demand his immediate dismissal, as a condition of my not divulging her crime. She appeared frightened, and gave her consent, but I soon found that her confessor had more power with her than I had, and he remained. I now resolved to acquaint my father and I roused him from his studies, that he might listen to his shame. I imagined that he would have acted calmly and discreetly, but, on the contrary, his violence was without bounds, and I had the greatest difficulty from preventing his rushing with his sword to sacrifice them both. At last he contented himself by turning Father Ignacio out of the house in the most ignominious manner, and desiring my mother to prepare for seclusion in a convent for the remainder of her days. But he fell their victim. Three days afterwards, as my mother was, by his directions, about to be removed, he was seized with convulsions, and died. I need hardly say that he was carried off by poison. This, however, could not be established till long afterwards. Before he died, he seemed to be almost supernaturally prepared for an event which never came into my thoughts. He sent for another confessor, who drew up his confession in writing, at his own request, and afterwards inserted it in his will. My mother remained in the house, and Father Ignacio had the insolence to return. I ordered him away, and he resisted. He was turned out by the servants. I had an interview with my mother, who defied me, and told me that I should soon have a brother to share in the succession. I felt that, if so, it would be the illegitimate progeny of her adultery and told her my opinion. She expressed her rage in the bitterest curses, and I left her. Shortly afterwards she quitted the house, and retired to another of our country seats, 
where she lived with Father Ignacio as before. About four months afterwards formal notice was sent to me of the birth of a brother. But as when my father's will was opened, he there had inserted his confession, or the substance of it, in which he stated that, aware of my mother's guilt, and supposing that consequences might ensue, he solemnly declared before God that he had for years lived apart. I cared little for this communication. I contented myself with replying that as the child belonged to the church, it had better be dedicated to its service. I had, however, soon reason to acknowledge the vengeance of my mother and her paramour. One night I was attacked by bravos, and, had I not fortunately received assistance, I should have forfeited my life. As it was, I received a severe wound. Against attempts of that kind I took every precaution in future, but still every attempt was made to ruin my character, as well as to take my life. A young sister disappeared from a convent in my neighbourhood, and on the ground near the window from which she descended was found a hat, recognised to be mine. I was proceeded against, and notwithstanding the strongest interest, it was with difficulty that the affair was arranged, although I had incontestably proved an alibi. A young man of rank was found murdered with a stiletto, known to be mine, buried in his bosom, and it was with difficulty that I could establish my innocence. Part of a banditti had been seized, and on being asked the name of their chief, when they received absolution, they confessed that I was the chief of the band. Everything that could be attempted was put into practice, and if I did not lose my life, at all events I was avoided by almost everybody as a dangerous and doubtful character. At last, a nobleman of rank, the father of Don Scipio, whom you disarmed, was assassinated. The bravos were taken, and they acknowledged that I was the person who hired them. I defended myself, but the king imposed upon me a heavy fine and banishments. I had just received the order, and was crying out against the injustices, and lamenting my hard fate as I sat down to dinner. Latterly, aware of what my enemies would attempt, I had been accustomed to live much alone. My faithful valet, Pedro, was my only attendant. I was eating my dinner with little appetite and had asked for some wine. Pedro went to the buffet behind him to give me what I required. Accidentally I lifted up my head, and there being a large pier-glass opposite to me, I saw the figure of my valet, and that he was pouring a powder into the flagon of wine which he was about to present to me. 
I recollected the hat being found at the nunnery, and also the stiletto in the body of the young man. Like lightning it occurred to me that I had been fostering the viper who had assisted to destroy me. He brought me the flagon. I rose, locked the door, and drawing my sword I addressed him. Villain, I know thee. Down on your knees, for your life is forfeit. He turned pale, trembled, and sank upon his knees. Now then, continued I, you have but one chance. Either drink of this flagon of wine, or I pass my sword through your body. He hesitated, and I put the point to his breast, even pierced the flesh a quarter of an inch. Drink! cried I, is it so very unjust an order to tell you to drink old wine? Drink! continued I, or my sword does its duty. He drank, and would have quitted the room. No, no, said I, you remain here, and the wine must have its effect. If I have wronged you, I will make amends to you. But I am suspicious. In about a quarter of an hour, during which time I paced up and down the room with my sword drawn, my servant fell down and cried in mercy to let him have a priest. I sent for my own confessor and he then acknowledged that he was an agent of my mother and father Ignacio, and had been the means of making it appear that I was the committer of all the crimes and murders which had been perpetrated by them with a view to my destruction. A strong emetic having been administered to him, he partly revived, and was taken to Palermo, where he gave his evidence before he expired. When this was made known, the king revoked his sentence, apologized to me, and I found that once more I was visited and courted by everybody. My mother was ordered to be shut up in a convent, where she died, I trust, in grace, and Father Ignacio fled to Italy, and I have been informed is since dead. Having thus rid myself of my principal enemies, I considered myself safe. I married the lady whom you have just seen, and before my eldest son was born, Don Silvio, for such was the name given to my asserted legitimate brother, came of age, and demanded his succession. Had he asked me for a proper support as my uterine brother, I should not have refused, but that the son of Friar Ignacio, who had so often attempted my life, should, in the case of my decease, succeed to the title and estates, was not to be borne. A lawsuit was immediately commenced which lasted four or five years, 
during which Don Silvio married and had a son. That young man whom you heard me address by the same name. But after much litigation it was decided that my father's confessor and will had proved his illegitimacy, and the suit was in my favour. From that time to this there has been a constant enmity. Don Silvio refused all my offers of assistance, and followed me with a pertinacity which often endangered my life. At last he fell by the hands of his own agents, who mistook him for me. Don Silvio died without leaving any provision for his family. His widow I pensioned, and his son I have carefully brought up, and have indeed treated most liberally. But he appears to have imbibed the spirit of his father, and no kindness has been able to imbue him with gratitude. He had lately been placed by me in the army, where he found out my two sons, and quarrelled with them both upon slight pretence but in both instances he was wounded, and carried off the field. My two sons have been staying with me these last two months, and did not leave till yesterday. This morning Don Silvio, accompanied by Don Scipio, came to the house, and after accusing me of being the murderer of both their parents, drew their rapiers to assassinate me. My wife and child, hearing the noise, came down to my assistance. You know the rest. End of chapter 20